0: So, friends, today, this third Sunday of Advent, we light the candle of joy. We think about joy in our lives. And when you think about joy, when we think about this candle, when we think about what it means, we have a unique opportunity today. Because in this deeply divided world, joy is something that unifies us. It should unify all of us in this room, it actually unifies us with this world. It's a recent survey taken that asked a number of different questions, but one of the questions that was asked was this. Do you want more joy in your life on a daily basis? And 93% of people said yes. In this polarized world, we should applaud and celebrate when 93% of people can agree on anything right now. But 93% of people were unified around the idea that they weren't more joy. And I honestly feel like we should be praying for the 7%. <laughs> for whoever the ones were like, oh, mediocrity sounds okay. Like no, joy is something that should unite us. We are united by the idea that joy is something we want. But when you think about the fact 93% plus of people say they want more joy in their life, what also unifies us is that there seems to be a scarcity of joy. Because if 93% of us want more of it, it means that we don't feel like we have enough on a daily basis. There's a gap between what we want and what we have and what we experience in joy. And as Christians, that should give us pause, because over and over again in the Bible, the Scriptures describe that we are to be people who are marked by joy. The Apostle Paul talks about the fact that in the, in the fruits of the Spirit, that joy is mean that we should be seen as unique with. That people around us in Austin, Texas or wherever we are should be looking at us as people who have an unusual amount of joy in our life. And yet most of us feel this gap between what we would love to have of a daily life that is joyful and where we are. And so today I want us to talk about this mark of joy, this candle of joy, and how it is we might start understanding and bridging that gap in our lives, to have what the scriptures say we should have, which is a deep and abiding sense of joy in our daily walk. The scripture we're going to be looking at is the 35th chapter of Isaiah. We're going to be reading the entire chapter, and I want you to focus on what Isaiah is saying here about the words joy and rejoicing and what it might say to us today. So Isaiah 35. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad... Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For water shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackals shall become a swamp. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there and it shall be called the holy way. The unclean shall not travel on it, but it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fools, shall go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away friends this is the word of the lord thanks be to god God. let's pray together lord i pray that no matter who we are or what we bring to this time of worship today we would experience your gospel your good news and it would transform us forever we pray for this in jesus name amen all right friends so as we talk about joy being something that can unify us, I think we need to be clear of what we are talking about, what we're not talking about. Because the word joy is one that we can throw around a lot. It's one that's thrown around in our society a lot. Um, And so I want us to be clear of what Isaiah is talking about, what he's not. And I think part of the reason for this gap of what we want and what we have when it comes to joy comes from some misunderstandings. If any of you guys are in marketing or advertising, and I wanna say at the beginning of this comment, I'm not taking a pot shot at you. God loves you. So do I. You're amazingly bright people. I'm not critiquing you in any way, shape, or form. I don't need more emails telling me about how I've critiqued the advertising community. I've just read about this, and I wanna report on it and reflect on it theologically. Any of you guys ever heard of a kind of philosophy or branch of marketing and advertising called joy marketing? This is like a real thing. This is like a whole, it's talked about throughout the year, but it's a particular kind of marketing that organizations, companies, corporations focus on, especially at this time of the year, that joy is something to be marketed. And here all works is this, is that all kinds of industries use this. Beer commercials use this, airlines use this, everything in between. It works with the basic philosophy that in the advertising you have really, Happy, smiley, beautiful people in a beautiful setting. Maybe Colorado around Christmas. Maybe like the, the the mountains that are there with snow on them. There's a fire. People are laughing. Friends are there. There's there's uh, s'mores or whatever else that's being. Uh, partaking in around the campfire, there's people that are laughing, they're having a great time, they don't have a care in the world. And as we see that, and as we see the product that's being advertised to us, there are these connections that are made in our brain, these synapses that come together that begin subconsciously associating that product with that lifestyle. Because surely all of those actors just live that way every single moment of every single day not a care in the world. Happiness upon happiness upon happiness. And when we don't feel that way, when we notice this gap in our life between the joy that seems to be real and the joy that we feel like we lack at times, there's a subtle and important connection which says that if we could have that product, our lives might look more like the people in the advertising. Now, when you say it out loud, it sounds silly but there are industries worth hundreds of millions of dollars that build their entire brand on this. It works because people are so desperate for joy. Now I read an interesting article about joy marketing. And what it talked about was it was talking to companies about how to do effective joy marketing. And what it said is, among other things, is it gave all the statistics about why it's such a good thing and why it's so effective. But then what they said is, is that the key to a company doing joy marketing well is that when you advertise your product to the consumer, you and I, the main thing that you have to realize or one of the things you have to realize is don't talk about your competition. So you know those like car commercials were like, we get more to the gallon miles to the gallon than this car. That's not joy marketing because that makes us the consumer think, oh, they're just trying to beat the competition. You don't. That's not how joy marketing works. Joy marketing is making the consumer, you and I, think that the only thing that company cares about is our happiness, and if we can become associating with that product with our happiness, then that is an especially Important and good and effective form of marketing and advertising. And I wonder if there might be some insights there as to why we don't have more joy in our life. Because what I wonder is if we've started thinking about joy as something to consume. And we have a consumer mindset to almost everything in our world these days. But Isaiah is saying something different. Isaiah is saying that joy is not the product of acquiring enough amazing vacations or amazing trips or amazing friends or amazing likes on Instagram or a number of followers that you have or a certain SAT score or a certain job title you have or a certain salary you make. Joy is not the product of something we consume. It's not something that can be bought. It's not something that can be purchased. It's not even something that can be attained. And I wonder if the main impediment to us having too little joy is our own selves, our own mindset, our own approach to it, because we're thinking as consumers. Isaiah is saying that joy is found when we realize that there is a plan at work, that God is working out God's salvation, God's story, God's healing, God's wholeness for creation. My personal favorite definition of joy comes from the British theologian and author C.S. Lewis. Some of you have heard me say this before. C.S. Lewis defines joy as the presence of purpose. It's not an emotion so much, it's not even a feeling. It's not being, not just happy, but really, really, really happy. That's not joy, Lewis is saying. Lewis says that we make a mistake when we confuse joy for just being really happy. He gave a lecture at Oxford College one year and he said in that lecture that if you ask parents what they most want for their children, or grandparents what they most want for their grandchildren, it's like, all we want is for them to be happy. He says, and to be clear, Lewis in Christianity is not an anti-happy thing. Happiness is a good thing. But Lewis says, why would that be your chief wish as a Christian? Happiness can only be had when the circumstances of your life are good. It's hard to lose someone that you love and be happy. It's hard to go through times of confusion and be happy. It's hard to lose your job and to be happy. It's hard to be abandoned or talked about or gossiped about and be happy. He said, why would our chief desire for our children to be something that they're not in control of and that we know they won't have all the time. Lewis says that what Christians are called to have is joy. And the way he defines joy is that joy is the presence of purpose. Waking up every day knowing why God has placed us on this earth. That having purpose in our lives can be something that we have even when we're not happy, even when we're suffering. Even when times are hard. It helps make sense of this curious passage in Hebrews chapter 12 when Paul writes about Jesus' joy. He says that Jesus experienced the fullness of joy in what God was doing and working out God's plan for the world through the cross. The cross, Paul associates with joy for Jesus. This instrument of death, this instrument of torture, Jesus was not on the cross happy. He wasn't really, really happy, but Paul says he did have joy because he was a part of what God was doing in this world. And I think this idea that purpose is ultimately what Isaiah is encouraging us in today. Isaiah is saying that the way you have joy is to understand that suffering is a part of life. That there are times where we go through desert periods, wilderness periods, where we are parched, where we are dry, where we are searching, where we are hurting, where we are lonely. And when we realize that God's plan for our lives, that God's plan for creation cannot be derailed by the suffering of this world, cannot be derailed by the desert places of this world, and cannot be derailed in the desert places of our own life, when we understand that God is actively writing a story of bringing uh, uh, abundance to desert places, of bringing healing to hurting places, of bringing safety to places of fear and worry and concern, that God is in the process of transforming this world into something new. That that, being a part of that process, that that is joy. God has a purpose for your life. God has a purpose for this world. And being in that story, as one theologian says, being a co-laborer with God in what God is doing, that that is how we have joy, not by consuming it ourselves, by fixating on our plans and our goals, but by fixating ourselves on being a part of what God is doing in the world. I wonder if Christmas actually might give us a great opportunity to think about this in a a unique way. Because last week in her sermon, Jill asked us to reflect on, and maybe you've done this, uh, your favorite Christmas movies. And Jill gave us two, uh, Elf and um, It's a Wonderful Life. Um, it's the danger of not having notes. All of a sudden I blanked on number two. Um, <laughs> and Lord knows I wouldn't argue with Jill, <laughs> especially when she's not here in the service. I would never passive aggressively question her in front of people. So I agree with those two great, great holiday movies. But if I was gonna add to that list, I would put the category of films that fall under the umbrella of Charles Dickens' work, A Christmas Carol. I read A Christmas Carol, the book, in college, and I have seen and enjoyed, maybe like you, numerous different adaptations to that film. You've got something like the kind of classic George C. Scott, uh, you know, uh, well-acted Christmas You've got something more contemporary uh, like Bill Murray, Scrooged, which I think is a wholly underrated film Uh, in the world. You have my father-in-law's favorite, which we just got to watch as a family, The Muppet Christmas Carol. You have all kinds of adaptations of Charles Dickens' work. And I'll be honest with you, although I love this book and I love these films. Uh, I've always struggled as a Christian, theologically, with some of what's there. I've always had this like alarm bell going off in my head that when I try to talk to people about it, they're like, would you just stop and enjoy it? Why do you have this going on? But I, I have this alarm bell when I see these movies, when I read the book, because Dickens is building on a principle that makes sense, which is, and if you've not seen or read this, A, I don't know what rock you've been living under, but B, I just wanna, you're, you're gonna get some spoiler alerts here. Scrooge is visited by his old business partner, uh, partner, Jacob Marley, and Marley has all these chains on him and Scrooge asks why and Marley says, well, it's because I I was selfish and focused on business and not helping people and and I forged these chains in life and and Ebenezer, you're gonna be visited by spirits to have uh, a chance to to take these chains away because you uh, have these chains, you have more chains than I do. And Scrooge, especially when you read the book, wakes up on Christmas morning, is consumed by this worry of how long did the spirits take and how much time does he have to work off the chains that he's forged. And I always struggle with that because because that's the language of religion, it's not the gospel. The gospel is not you can learn enough rules to do good stuff to cancel out the bad stuff you've done. What we as Christians believe is that that's just another form of slavery. That's just another form of, of forging more chains based on guilt and shame and religious rules. The gospel is when we believe those chains are taken away by grace, that we are forgiven. So I struggle with it for that reason. And yet I love the films. Well, this week I saw it a little differently. This week, our family has a tradition of going downtown here in Austin to the Zach Theater and seeing the musical adaptation of A Christmas Carol. If any of you have seen it, it's a very creative uh, interpretation of Dickens' uh, book, and, and we love it, and we love going. And while I do not want to hold it up as a model of salvation and justification, I want to make that clear. I think it is actually a great representation of what Isaiah is describing as Joy. Because think about what happens in Scrooge's life. Dickens goes to great lengths at the end of his book to describe the joy that marked Scrooge in his later days, after his time with the spirits. But what is joy? Joy is Ebenezer Scrooge moving from someone who is consumed with their self, their business, their loan uh, company, their grumpiness about the world and the way it should be, seeing everything through their lens to one who begins living in a story of bringing healing to hurting places, of bringing new life to desert and parched areas, as Isaiah describes. What does he do on that Christmas morning? He buys food for people who need it so that they can have a meal and celebrate. He forgives debts to people that owe money to him and he seeks to begin working for the healing of a child, Tiny Tim, who's lame. Scrooge's joy is not something he attains, it's not something he acquires, it's not something that he gets with a consumer mindset. But he becomes a part of what God is doing in this world. He becomes a part of a bigger story of bringing healing and wholeness and life to the hurting places around him. He has joy because he doesn't pursue joy. He pursues being a part of what Isaiah says God is doing in the world, and as he sees life blooming up and healing blooming up and wholeness blooming up around him, the byproduct of what he has is joy. Joy that is the presence of purpose because he has a bigger reason for living than just himself. That he is his brother's keeper. And so are you and I. And I believe if we had that mindset that that is the way that this candle can unify us one last time. Yes, joy is something we want. Yes, joy is something that more of us need. But this week, we are going to have a chance to live out what Isaiah is saying, every single one of us. Because where we live, work, and play, we are going to encounter people who are hurting, who are frightened, who are alone, who feel forgotten. One of the things as a pastor you should know is how much I notice that we, as a people, think about those who are hurting, but don't actually reach out to them. And what would it mean this week to not just be so focused on our plans, our to-do list, our goals, our dreams, our acquiring of what we want, but to be the one in our places of work, to be the one in our neighborhoods who stops, who listens to the pain in people's lives, who picks up the phone and calls, who sends a letter, who takes someone to lunch, who prays with someone, who prays, for someone, who seeks to bring about healing in the life of someone who needs it in whatever ways you can. Because that is the story of what God is writing in places of hurting. And to be a part of that healing will bring change to those who are in pain, but to us it will bring joy because we will be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And so may may we go forward this day joining God in the amazing work that God is doing in the hurting lives of others. And may your joy be complete as we go. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we do pray that you would lead and guide us in what it means to be a part of what you're doing in this world. May your joy be our joy. May your purpose be our purpose. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.